but he really wasn't in it for their good. It was just for his financial gain and that sort of thing. So as we look at our passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-12, through 12, we're going to see these wonderful metaphors of a family and the example of the Apostle Paul as a mother, as an older brother, as a father. And then we're going to be uh, challenged to commit ourselves to walking together as a family as long as we live in this life because that is exactly what we're going to experience in the next life. So uh, let us go before the Lord in prayer, and then I will read this amazing passage to you this morning, and we will unmind the depths of God's good pleasure in His Word of God today. Father, we do come before you, and we pray, God, for the, the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words we rely upon now to interpret those words, to apply them to our hearts, God. Uh, Lord, if there was something that we really, every one of us need to grow in, it is love for one another. Uh, we are so, uh, so distracted in so many ways. We're so consumed with the things of this world. Uh, and we so often neglect uh, our time uh, spent with one another and our commitment to one another, even in prayer or in service. So I pray, Lord God, that as a, as a church of the living God, that we would also be a community of the living God and a family of the living God, that we would be so close to one another that we really, in good conscience and with emotion, could call each other brother, sister, father, mother. Bless us, we pray, and, uh, and let us be a blessing to you as we seek to understand your precious word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, if you would turn, please, to, uh, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 as we go through the the, this entire uh, book, and then into uh, Second uh, Thessalonians with this uh, theme of living in the light of His return, which is, of course, the theme of these two wonderful letters. I'll read the passage in its entirety. God says, Paul writes, "...but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children." Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. As we look at this passage, we're going to see that, we're, uh, that we are to have the love of a mother in verses 7 through 8, the example of an older brother in verse 9, the training of a father in verses 10 through 11, and the walking together as a family in verse 12. And you might find your home group's help insert as an assistance to, to you as we uh, go through this wonderful passage. We'll begin here with the love of a mother in verses 7 through 8. And Paul begins with but. And of course, you always look at those transitional words to know what is he referring back to. This is the downside of expository preaching. We can't do an entire letter at once. We can't do an entire book at once. We have to break it up the various Sundays. But what this goes back to in verse 6 where Paul, uh, Paul speaks of his, uh, his behavior among the Thessalonians where he said, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. More literally again, as we saw last Sunday, that means although as Christ's apostles, we could have been with weight. 
We could have thrown our weight around. We could have demanded, because of the authority that God's given us, that you do certain things. But his approach was actually to win them with love, win them with affection, win them with truth, rather than proclaiming his authority. So he says here, and he reminds us that he proved to be gentle among you. So this is kind of the heart of the verse here is, is, is his gentleness towards the Thessalonians. Uh, he wasn't one of these manipulative uh, type of teachers who, who would bludgeon people uh, and expect them to, to submit to their authority, which so often people tend to do. He was no bully. Uh, and, and it kind of encompasses this idea of gentleness, uh, other virtues of respect and compassion, patience, tenderheartedness, uh, overlooking imperfections. Isn't that what a family has to do at times? Overlooking imperfections here. And loyalty, of course, as well. So uh, he didn't exploit the Thessalonians. He actually lived among them, served among them. He was a servant leader, a servant leader. The very kind of leader that Jesus Christ was, the very kind of leader that God demands that the church have, but it's a lot of work for us sometimes to be uh, servant leaders, is it not? Matter of fact, it's interesting that this particular text, some manuscripts actually say instead of gentle among you, we prove to be infants among you, infants among you. Uh, and you think about an infant and how, how gentle an infant would be amongst other people. Uh, you know, that was kind of, uh, it really kind of makes the point as well. Uh, and then he says here, it's as a nursing mother tenderly cares for own, her own children. So he's, he's speaking, of course, about himself, but also Silas and Timothy and how they were Gentile and they were motherly in their affections towards that particular church here. And that, of course, fits well with the infant, uh, infant metaphor as well. Paul, Paul was no wet nurse. He wasn't hired to go in and kind of care for the people. Uh, he wasn't some sort of um, daycare or something like that. His heart was connected with the church. He, he had a passion for them. This idea of tenderly care literally means to warm with body heat. To warm with body heat. And you mothers, you fathers know what that means. You, you warm your children with body heat. Well, to do that, they, you have to be close with them, right? To be, do that, they, they can sense your attention. They can sense if you don't really want to be holding them or all. But this is a, this is a, a hug where you're all in. And that's, in a sense, what uh, Paul was saying about, uh, about his care among the Thessalonians. And this is so different from the leadership of the world, isn't it? It's so counter to the way the, the, the world treats us and uh, even employers treats us or even sometimes, regrettably, how churches sometimes treat us as well. Had an opportunity to run into the parents of one of our former uh, members who is now teaching school up in North Carolina. And she's in a very happy situation now, a really good, strong Christian school. But she was in another school last year, and she said that entire year, the administration of the school, the principal of that school, never even bothered to learn her name. Never bothered to learn her name. And here she is, day in and day out, 7.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon, grading papers all night long, calling parents all the time, and the principal didn't even know her name uh, the entire year. That's kind of the way the, the leadership of the world is in many ways. One commentator says this, the standard for worldly leadership is to accomplish the leader's desires through the people. In the church, pastors have the privilege of seeing things God desires done in people. And that's a profound, profound difference. You're not stepping stones to build someone's career. The great joy of the officers here at this church and of the family members of this here church is, is to see the Lord working in you and you becoming more and more mature to the image of Christ. And he says, goes on to say, having such a fond affection uh, for you. 
I mean, this is the, the greatest love known to mankind is that love between a mother and a child. It's just unbreakable in so many ways. In rare situations, it's not there. But even amongst uh, 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 non-believers or even just a, a sort of mediocre people in general, that, that affection is, is so profound. And part of it is because they sacrifice so much for their children, right? And then that bond of the, of the children growing up to be bonded to their mother is so, so, so profound. There is a fond affection in there. Uh, there's a passion. Uh, there's a commitment there uh, in, involving that love. This uh, particular uh, in, uh, idea of fond affection, that very uh, word, it's only used here in the New Testament. But it's often found in ancient manuscripts above crypts in the Roman and Greek world uh, where an infant died, uh, a child died in infancy. And the parents are trying to explain, express their fond affection for the, for the loss of that child. And Paul uses that same, aware of that situation, he uses that same word to talk about just how dear he is. And, you know, and now remember, Paul's a man, and men are not always the most affectionate creatures on the planet, right? I mean, very often a dachshund is more affectionate than many of the men that are in this room, right? But there's something happens, there's something happens when we become a Christian. When we become part of the same family, God gives us that affection uh, in many ways as well. And he says here, we were well pleasing to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our, also our own lives. This was something that pleased him. You know, so often, maybe the affections, the relationships we have, uh, uh, the, the duties that we have towards one another do come off that way. Sometimes it's duties. Uh, there's some of you who are here today because of duty. You didn't feel like getting up today, but you did the right thing. But isn't it true when you do anything in faith, that duty becomes, becomes a delight, becomes a delight. And that's the case here. It's well-pleasing to him. I, I couldn't help but think about that wonderful old movie, Chariots of Fire. And, of course, the true story of Eric Little, the Olympian champion uh, in England uh, prior to the Second World War who would not run on Sunday. And there's this wonderful scene in that movie where he's having a conversation with his sister. Uh, and, and he says, and he says uh, in there, uh, when I, when, let me see if I can do it with an Eric Little accent. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Right? When he runs, he feels his pleasure. Well, Paul would say, when I preach, I feel his pleasure. When I preach, I feel his pleasure. God loves really good preaching. And because Paul is consumed with the glory of God, and that's what his preaching did. He's always directing up, always directing uh, to the glory of God, and he can feel his pleasure. That's something I can relate to. I feel God's pleasure when I preach. And he's reminding the Thessalonians of that, that it was a pleasure for him to take the gospel with him. Now, he got beat up and run out of town. Uh, and he came from Philipp Philippi, where he got beat up and run out of town. And yet, it's still his pleasure. He lived for God. This is one reason why the, Paul could give up so much to be a Christian. Why he could endure hardship, shipwreck, poverty, uh, robbers, wild beasts, all of those things that he mentions uh, uh, as some of the trials and tribulations of being an apostle. The reason why is because to him, he had reduced life to God be the glory. And if he has glorified me living in a container somewhere under a bridge and eating pigeon, <laughs> to God be the glory, to God be the glory. Do you realize how joyful we would be if we could be content with just that? My whole life is centered on God's glory. Every ambition, everything that happens to me, the weather all is designed to get me to know God all the better. 
I tell you, my goal in life, I was praying to the Lord the other day, my goal in life is to have a very, very slender transition from this world to the next. Because I have gotten to know God so well, so intimately, and I'm so madly in love with Him, and I know His pleasure so well, that all that has to stop is my heart to stop, and I get to see Him face to face. Isn't that, that's a worthy goal, isn't it? To be so consumed with His desires. And what that will bring is a joy that gets your eyes off yourself and onto Him and onto others. So uh, he is well placed. And here's this repeated theme again. It's the gospel of God. It's a gospel that he didn't make up. God gave it to himself. It's not his own opinion. It's not his own philosophy. It's not his own rhetoric. He is not trying to start a movement. He's not trying to start a, a political party. He is not trying to start a cult. What he gave to the Thessalonians came from God itself. Therefore, it is good. And that also increases the pleasure. See, that's the thing that unites us as a family. We believe the same things. We have a common father, but we believe the same things about that father. I was in an event yesterday, and uh, I was talking to this young man, and uh, he had a beard, so I figured he was reformed. And, uh, and I said something about, he asked me what I did. I was a pastor of Christ, reformed. He says, I'm reformed. And then this other guy came walking by. I reform too, you know, it's like, you know, we're giving each other the secret signal, you know, of the reform, you know, and, uh, you know, but, but, but immediately, bang, we were, we were in with each other. We had the same view of scripture, which I happen to think is the biblical view of scripture. And, 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 uh, and we all had beards, you know, because we're reformed. And, uh, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful picture. I didn't know these guys. Uh, one one name was Jacob and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, and, but we were, we were in. Don't, haven't you found that to be the case? You can meet someone who doesn't even speak English. And yet, you know they're a Christian. And there's a, there's a connection there. There's a connection there. Well, listen, this kind of thing, this kind of family mentality that we need to have in the church universal, but in here at 1621 North Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, it, it, it comes through effort. It comes through work. In a sense, some of these affections are natural. There's an enthusiasm with common things, a common worship of God. But it's going to require something that's very difficult, that is a dying gift, a dying art in the church, and that's hospitality. You cannot have this kind of family togetherness without the, the virtue, the discipline of hospitality. We try to make situations in the church where we, we can make hospitality easier with the fellowship meal like we're going to have uh, today. Uh, with home groups and that kind of thing. So we actually have some opportunities for people to participate in that. But if you don't participate in some of those things, and you can, uh, then you're actually missing out on this opportunity to be with family, to get to know family better. But this emphasis of hospitality, I, this, I, I know that's a, a, a passion of mine, but it's a passion that comes from Holy Scripture itself. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. How many times can Jesus repeat that? Well, you can't love one another if the only time you see one another is for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. 1 Peter 4, 9, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. I think that's interesting that he added that. That might have been from a suggestion from Mrs. Peter. Uh, be hospital without complaint. First Timothy 3, 2. An overseer then must be talking about an elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, 
hospitable, able to teach. That is, he uses his resources for the sake of others, especially the family of God. 1 Timothy 5.10, the people should, uh, ladies to be put on the widow's list if they have a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Hebrews 13.2 brings out an interesting uh, thought here. Uh, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. By this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Gee, I wonder if an angel will come in and eat our Chinese food today after church. You know, how would we know? We won't know, you know. And of course, what he's alluding to here is Abraham feeding the, uh, the, the, the three angelic beings. One of them was probably a, a pre-incarnate appearance of uh, the Son of God before they went down to Sodom, uh, uh, what did they do? Abraham saw him and said, let me feed you. Let me feed you. Let me show you hospitality. Romans 12, 10 through 13, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Hospitality is up there with prayer, uh, fervent in the spirit, Love, honor, rejoicing, worship. It's a form of worship. Now, we simply will not be the kind of family that God expects us to be unless we get in other people's lives. And that's not going to happen if people don't show hospitality. The problem with hospitality is we think that's one of those things other people ought to do. That's a good idea for somebody else, right? And even as I'm reading some of these verses, some of y'all are going through excuses right now. Well, I can't do that. There are some legitimate excuses. If you had a new baby, listen, you, you, there's a season there. You just can't show hospitality probably. Some of you have, uh, have disabilities or, or whatever. That might be a reason. But for the most of us, whatever excuse you're saying about not showing hospitality, and even you have to have a home, it's just sharing your life with others, if you want to put it that general, it's just a sin. It's just a sin. It's just a weak excuse to keep from loving other people. And it will harden your heart and it will hurt the rest of us. Family does for family. And we need to do for others. I'm just so blessed sometimes we have these fellowship meals and people will bring food that they don't even eat, that they don't even stay, whatever. They just bring food. That's, just, that's a great example. Uh, right now, uh, Jack and Sarah are working on this uh, a crack team of, uh, of, of hosts to help people come in on Sundays, on rainy days. I think we're going to call it the Umbrella Academy. Uh, and uh, we're going to, uh, he, he's looking for a, a few good young people who will be willing to go out, uh, you know, on a rainy day and help these moms bring in their babies and people bring in their covered dishes and this kind of thing uh, and, and bring them up. And, you know, one of the wet, best things that could ever happen to him and some them and when that happens and some of the, uh, the biggest rewards they could get to heaven is they get absolutely soaked while they're trying to keep the rain off of a baby off of a young mom, off of somebody who's uh, bringing in a covered dish. That's hospitality. That's hospitality. It's giving of myself to help you and to get to know you all the better. So those of you who want to, uh, there will be additions uh, for this. This is a select group of a uh, crack team of uh, umbrella people. So make sure you see Jack and talk to him about this. But I, I think about going, uh, uh, studying back when our children would go to the, uh, the, the pediatrician and reading about various childhood diseases. There, there's, this, there's this thing that's, uh, uh, this term, medical term that doctors use when they see a baby that's not healthy and, and they're having a hard time getting that baby healthy. Failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. 
I would submit to you that many, many churches in America right now are failure to thrive. I'm not talking about real churches. I'm talking about Christian churches, ones that really fear God and love the Bible. Failure to thrive. One reason why is they're just selfish. People, they go to get instead of going to give, and they're not practicing hospitality. To be a family, like Paul is telling us we need to be, we need to do that. Let me move on. Because uh, you have become very dear for us. This is sort of a summary of his affection that he has towards them. Uh, it's like his comment in Galatians, uh, which is uh, a little shocking. It's so, it's, so, um, it's so deep in many ways. He says to the Galatians, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul there is making the illustration, I'm a pregnant mom. And until Christ is fully formed in you, I, you know, I, I can't give birth. We can't build a new church here. Now we see the example of the older brother in verse 6. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So again, he's, as he's done so often here, he's, he's bringing them back to their own experience. This is a good debate tool. You know, all right, so, so people are out there accusing me of being this way. I would like, I call, I call to the stand my first witness, you. You saw me in Thessalonica. You saw the way I acted. You saw the way we lived. You saw the, so he's calling back to them because we forget after a while, right? And, and these influencers are coming in with these negative influences and it's starting to affect their memory even of the Apostle Paul, of Silas and of Timothy, of their, of their work there. So he calls them brethren, of course, and uh, brethren would also encompass sisters as well. Uh, so they're brethren because we've been adopted by the same father here. And he mentions specifically his labor and hardship. And I think about, there's this, uh, back when we were raising children, there was this, this principle that you would hear many families say, as the oldest goes, so go the rest of the children. As the oldest goes, so the rest of the children. If the oldest is obedient, hardworking, that kind, of, they follow that example because the the oldest child is so often is the example, and it so often should be an example in labor and hardship. The other children should see him working, see her working, and uh, and and be encouraged to follow that particular example. Uh, in, in his particular uh, uh, example here, uh, he wasn't a burden to them financially. And what did he do? Well, when he was there, just for those few short weeks, he, he resorted to making tents. By trade, Paul was a tent maker. So he made tents and he received donations from other churches. Paul's kind of standard operation was when he would plant a church, he wouldn't get the tithes and the offerings from that particular church. He would, get, he would be supported as a missionary from the other churches or he would work. And he would uh, share the gospel with them during the afternoon siesta or at night or whatever it might be, or during work, whatever it might be. Uh, that's, that was the way, and, and the reason why he did that, he wanted to be above reproach. He wanted to make sure, I'm not here like all these other clowns just to, just to bilk you out of your shillings. I'm here to bring you the gospel, and guess what? Other people are paying for me to do that. Other people are paying for me. So that was his example there. Uh, it, it's so counter. To the, to the wicked shepherds of Israel during the times of Ezekiel Day. It's so counter to a lot of ministries today. I was listening to that Hank Williams song the other day about, says, I'll listen to the preacher man. Who's, if I sent money, I'd go to heaven. You know? 
That was a really poor Hank Williams. If I did a really good Hank Williams, though, you would be worried <laughs> that I'm listening to Hank all the time. Uh, so listen to Ezekiel 31, and this is the kind of contrast. And this also describes some of these false teachers that were so prominent, the sophists and the traveling salesman-type preachers that were so prominent during uh, uh, the days of Greece and Rome. Ezekiel 34, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The spiritual leaders of Israel prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord, woe, shepherds of Israel. You don't ever want to get a woe from God. Right, that's a bad word to get from God. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought the loss. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. And that's what other people are accusing Paul of doing. And Paul's going back to their own experience and saying, no, 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 brothers. Remember, this was our example. Yeah, um, it's so interesting. I, I really admire uh, the, uh, the Asian culture in a lot of ways. And I've talked to, to several people from China and from India who've immigrated to the United States. And there's this philosophy. It's just sort of accepted uh, in Asian families that what would often happen is the older child would come first to America, get their education, get a job, and then he would pay for the other children to be able to come. Or someone would go and start a business. They would buy a store, a hotel, something like that. And then they would use that business to hire the other family members to be able to come and everything. They saw the responsibility as an older brother, older sister, to be the example of hard work and labor. And the entire family benefited. Uh, Y'all know my youngest, uh, our youngest child has, has gone back to school and uh, I, I have access to his uh, account, uh, his uh, banking account. And uh, his birthday was recent uh, and, I, and I checked, I'm always checking on to make sure he doesn't starve to death. And, uh, and I pulled up his account and there was a, it was a significant increase in there. And, um, and uh, I found out later that one of his siblings had sent him a substantial financial gift for his birthday. Never said anything about it. Just, just sent, Venmoed him a bunch of money for his birthday, which will get him through the rest of the semester. Man, that did my heart good. Man, that did my heart good. Are we doing that for one another? Are we looking out for one another? If, you, if the Lord calls to mind a need of somebody in this church, don't look for somebody else to fill that need. You fill that need. There are people here today that didn't have a ride to church and other people gave them a ride to church. Is that inconvenient? Yeah. Will you get rewards in heaven? Yeah. In heaven, you'll be given an orange Prius. Uh, just like the one I drive. So we say here, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. That, of course, is his emphasis. He just can't keep, he, he just can't help saying gospel of God. He loves gospel of God. If Paul had a tattoo, it'd probably be the gospel of, of God on his tattoo. And, they would and, and because it's of God, we can uh, proclaim it. You know, if you, there's times when we get in debates. And, 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 and I'll, you know, uh, if I'm debating with you, there's times I'll look at you and say, you know, I may be wrong here. I may be wrong here, but I think it's this way and everything. If it's the gospel of God, you never have to say, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. This is of God. God cannot be wrong. God cannot lie. So we can have full confidence to be able to do what Paul did here. Wonderful example in the, in the Old Testament uh, is Jonathan and David. When Nancy and I wrote our vows uh, 35 years ago, 
we, we use this term. It was said in Scripture that the, the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of David. They were the closest, closest, closest of friends. And, of course, Jonathan's daddy was a maniac king killer, right? He hunted David down. But J Jonathan understood that David was God's elect, that he was actually the chosen one to be, to be the king. But it says in 1 Samuel 23 about the relationship with this, this brother relationship uh, with Jonathan and David. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horsh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horsh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and, will be, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Wow. Encouraged one another. That's what we need, right? Life is hard. It's doubly hard if you go through by yourself. We need older brothers, and we need to be the older brothers. We need older sisters, and we need to be the older sisters here. Now we see here the training of a father in verses 10 through 11. Uh, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we are exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children here. So, of course, a father's duty is also to lead by example here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, he pictured himself as a spiritual father when he said, uh, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would, only have, you, you would not have many fathers. For in Christ I became your father through the gospel. So Paul moves to Corinth, he moves to uh, Thessalonica, and he births all these spiritual children because he's, he's the spiritual father. And he gives these, uh, these, these uh, uh, list of uh, three components in each one of them. How devoutly, uprightly, and blameless we behave towards you believers. Again, this is to be our example. The idea of devoutly means to be in a holy man minister. It emphasizes how Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived the law of God before the people. The idea of uprightly is righteously. Uh, blamelessly is their reputation uh, before people. Uh, he's calling them back. Remember the way we behave when we were with you. You need to behave that exact same way. And you need to shout down these, these people who keep accusing us of all these things. So he's not only example, but also the father's one who trains up children in love with exhorting, encouraging, imploring. So just as you know how we exhorted you, that's a word, a parakaleo. It's the same kind of word that's used of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us and helps us. And then encouraging is, uh, is, is this, uh, encouraging with a sense of comfort and consolation, you know, building them up. But then imploring is more of a term of warning to make sure they don't, uh, they, they, he doesn't have to implement church discipline or something like that. And I think about the, the number of times, uh, four children, I've trained children to ride bicycles four times, okay? It's a miracle they're alive. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. You know, you try to find the perfect level, got to be a little bit downhill, but not too much downhill, not too many cars around, go to the church parking lot or something like that. And you train them on training wheels and you take off the training wheels. And what does the father do? He runs alongside the bike, right? You remember that when you learned, when you learned? And when he falls off, you, unless he's dislocated a hip, you get him back on. You got to get back on. If you stay on that ground, you're never going to want to ride a bike. You know, so you see this, this example of, of riding alongside the bike. And uh, we had the new, uh, the new basketball coach from Anderson University who lives down the street from us. He was, they were here a couple of weeks ago. He's got four little kids. And, uh, and I was so encouraged. I was out there walking Sky the Wonder Dog. 
and uh, and and the li- his little son is riding his bike a little a little awkwardly down the street, and the father was riding behind him and saying, "You're awesome, you're awesome." What great dad. You're awesome. That's what Paul was doing. You're awesome. God is a work amongst you. You've been given the gospel of God. But also imploring. Imploring, right? We used to go down to Edisto all the time and we would take the bikes and uh, we would, they have this neat bike path. But the bike path intersects the uh, car path every now and then, right? And you have these little teeny bike stop signs. I don't know why they make them so much smaller than the big bike signs. So there's times you got to stop. So I'd, I'd be behind the van of Campbell children riding their bikes all awkwardly down the back. And they'd come to that street. Stop! Don't go across the street. Death awaits ye. <laughs> That's imploring, right? That's what a father does. That's what a father does. That's what each one of us need to do in the example of the Apostle Paul, as he would his own children. Now, this is hard for us because anybody has any age. We've been hurt. We've been hurt. We don't tend to get hurt by books we read. We don't tend to get hurt by tools we use. We don't get hurt by weather. We get hurt by people. And the more we've been hurt by people, the more calloused we are, the more we want to keep our, our, our hands, away, you know, our distance from people. And we just don't want to be all in. Or we might be around them, but we never allow it to go past that shallowness. Folks, you've got to love in faith. You've got, and let me tell you, this is a big in the ministry too. I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. You've got to break down that couch. You've got to be willing to get stomped on again and again and again and again. How often was the Apostle Paul stomped on, Right? even betrayed by some people who loved. When he, went to, when he was in Miletus saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, okay, he was their pastor for years, saying goodbye to them, he, he turns to him and says, some of you will become ravenous wolves and you will not spare the flock. He knew there were heretics, apostates within that crowd, but he still loved them. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? Yeah, he knew who Jesus was going to betray him, but he still washed his feet. The danger of callousing yourself towards others and removing yourself from others is far greater than being hurt by others. It really is. So I'm just encouraging you to, 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 to be all in on this family thing. Our church just simply will not. It may survive without love, but why would anybody want it or need it? We're going to have to break down some of these barriers and to treat people like our own children. And then, of course, we're going to walk together as a family. Verse 12, I love this passage, this idea of walking worthy. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And, of course, walking means your manner of life, the way you live on a daily basis. This was, of course, a a constant theme with Paul. Paul, uh, in his letters, almost always gives you the indicatives first, who you are in Christ. Then the imperatives as a result of being in Christ. This is the way you're supposed to live, right? So this is one of those, th- those passages where he talks about the imperatives, how you're supposed to live in Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, indicative, right? Bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 
zealous for good deeds. I love this because he's got the whole package in there. He tells us who we are in Christ, and he tells us what we expect. And what's the motivator? What's the motivator for you being zealous for good deeds? You're waiting for his return. You're living in the light of his return. Speaks here of it's, it's into his own kingdom and a glory. We have a shift of allegiance. Not only is God our father, he is also our king. We're no longer citizens of, of, of the kingdom's of this world. Revelation 11 gives us a sense of that. The seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped him. So powerful. It is coming folks. For some of us, it's sooner than later. But the kingdom of heaven will become of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of heaven. And we'll live each other, live each other for the rest of our life. Yeah, it would be so awkward for me when I'm up there with Elder Brendel and the other, el- and the other elders. Uh, and I'm up there and y'all come up to each other in heaven and you have to introduce each other, yourself to each other. We're like, they were, they were members of our church for two years. They don't leave each other name. You know, we don't embarrass us. Don't embarrass us. Leon Morris says this. They have been saved by such a wonderful God. They have been brought into his kingdom. They face a glorious future. Let them so live here and now as to be worthy of such a God. As to be worthy of such a God. Hebrews also encourages us because of the other folks that are watching us. This idea that uh, we are an example to everyone as the father, mother and the brother, sister. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When he says the so cloud of witnesses surrounding us, he probably means other people here. But this follows the passage of Hebrews 11 where he talks about all the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. And I just have this, every time I read that passage, I have this idea that we are in, we are on the field in a great stadium. And we have a race before us. And we've got the strength to do it by God's grace if we'll be willing to put one foot in front of the other. And as we're running... I just kind of picture this stadium filled with these great old saints of the day. And you got Abraham up there going, run! And Isaac going, run! And Moses going, run! We want to be of that company of Hebrews chapter 11. Well, they got there because they persevered to the end. They ran the run of faith. I love it. Even Samson's in there. If there was ever an oversexed, dumb jock bonehead in Scripture, it's Samson, Okay. But Samson is revered because he finished well. He got it. He was humbled, blinded, right? Humbled. And he finished well. So who's sufficient for these things? Ah, not me. Wow. Talking about needing the Holy Spirit, right? It's a tall order. But, I, but all of us need to follow this example. And, and uh, uh, there's a beautiful picture. One of my favorite parts of uh, Pilgrim's Progress is when... Uh, uh, Christian goes into interpreter's house and there's the, the deep and mysterious things of the faith are explained to him through various visions that he has there. And one of them is a picture hanging on the wall that uh, the interpreter is telling 
Christian that, and he sees this picture of this man. And the description is something, it says this, The man whose picture this is one of a thousand. You see him with his eyes lifted to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips. This shows that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners. You see him standing as if he's pleading with men, the world behind him, a crown hanging over his head. This shows by, by neglecting and despising present things for the love that he has for his master's service. He is sure to have glory for his reward in the next world. For those of you who are willing to be like Paul, to be mothers, to be brothers, sisters, to be fathers for the rest of the church, to show the kind of love and affection he did for the body of Christ, there are rewards in the next life. And this is another one of those passages that just challenge us to live in the light of his return because he's coming back. He's coming back. And we're in that same family. Let us show that we can have heavenly love even while on this earth. Father, I pray that you would teach us to do this thing. It's so hard. It's so unnatural. Some of us come from dysfunctional families where they didn't have a good father or a good mother uh, or, or they didn't have a, a loving sister and brother. Some of this is purely theole uh, uh, theoretical. But you've made up for all of that by calling us into the kingdom of God, by adopting us in the family. And we look to God, our Father, and our great older brother who went before us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the great paraclete that lives within inside us who mothers us and nourishes us and challenges us in holy ways. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us with the strength to do these things and, and prove, prove yourself to be true. That as we step out on faith to make ourselves uncomfortable so other people could be comfortable that you would just give us the peace that surpasses all understanding and that you would confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, confirm for us the work of our hands. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.